Hello, we're pleased to have you tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. When we talk about being single, we're talking about it as if it's a temporary phase in life. And it can be, and for many it will be. But for some people it won't be temporary. As one single said to me some time ago, we singles live in a couple's world. There are some interesting statistics available around the changes to Australian families and households over the past 50 years. The number of people getting married and those remaining single may surprise you. What is alarmingly evident is that there is a phenomenal increase in the number of ordinary Australians experiencing loneliness. Dr Corbett is partway through a series of messages exploring the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthian church as it's recorded in the New Testament of the Bible. There are some valuable insights that we can draw from Paul's writing on the subject of relationships or more specifically being single. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues his look at Corinthians, his topic of focus, how to be happy and contented, though single. Let's join him now. I hope everyone wished Amanda a happy birthday today. Amanda's got one of those birth dates that's kind of easy to remember. September 11. Now you're all thinking, yeah, what else happened on September 11? It's Amanda's birthday, what's the problem? <laughs> anyway, but it's easy to remember. What a great set of messages through the songs we've just been singing. And talking about the one hope, the one gospel, the one saviour. Isn't that the truth? That's great. And as others have commented this morning, in hearing some of, or I guess watching some of the the excerpts of Queen Elizabeth talking about her faith in Christ and hearing her publicly uh, confess that and, and make that point was just so refreshing as others have said this morning that she was, she was absolutely bold and confident about sharing her faith in Christ. I just find that so refreshing. And uh, this past week, my my pastor's desk I gave a little bit of a, a background to it Kim and I go out every Friday for our coffee date and we were sitting in the atrium at Stillwater and and that's when Kim made that comment she said what wonder if the people who founded Launceston over 200 years ago could have ever imagined that our river would look so beautiful with the way it's been dressed up and that we would even build silos let alone turn them into a motel and just how pretty our city is looking and it is and that's when I responded well we don't know what they were thinking to if they could have imagined this but what about if we think about what will it look like in 200 years for us and that's when I I just began thinking about it and and thinking well in 200 years what will our city look like and that's when I said well surely they'll put another bridge up somewhere on the river Surely they'll make it easy to get from Lagana, the, the, you know, the known centre of the universe, which is demonstrable. Because if you go halfway around, it's only halfway back. That makes us the centre. And, 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 and probably by then they'll put some tunnels because the population of Launceston will probably be somewhere around 1.37 million people. And you know what? We can fit them in easily. And when God said, go and multiply and fill the earth, Sometimes we get so, I think, not on my patch of dirt, you're not. <laughs> and I think God has a heart for people and he hasn't finished saving the lost. And there are lost yet to be born. 
that he's going to save and he wants to save them and his church is not finished with and a part of my thinking was also that a couple of weeks ago the former deputy editor of the examiner wrote an editorial saying that the church in Tasmania is no longer relevant and that we the Christian community of Tasmania have no moral authority to tell anybody what they should be doing because we have made such a botched job of looking after the vulnerable as royal commissions have pointed out and you know that's by and large true but that's not the story for the churches and the church pastors that I know that we have been working very hard to try and make sure that none of those accusations can stick on us not because we're trying to cover up but because there's no basis for it if you're relatively new here just let me point out some things when we designed this building we wanted it to reflect Tasmania and so I wanted lots of wood and that's kind of not trendy for churches if you ever go into a trendy church a hip church and if we were a hip church you could tell straight away because I'd be wearing torn jeans (laughs) I'd be I'd have tats showing which I haven't got any so I'm clearly not cool I'm clearly not hip I don't know what the Spanish word for cool is curio is there a Spanish word for cool and hip no see there's not even a Spanish word for it so obviously (laughs) whatever it is it doesn't apply to me and we built wood that these portals that we see one two three they're actually one thing come over um, means that we don't have to have columns in our building these things are holding up our building and giving us the capacity to go beyond them as well. And if you have a look at them after the service, you'll notice that they're, they're actually made from scrap wood, glued together, scrap waste wood, that someone thought was of no use. And they've been glued together. And now these things are stronger than steel. And i got to tell you, I just see this as a metaphor for us as a church. Some of us thought we were no use to anyone either. But put us together and the church becomes something really special. Around our building, we have cameras. We have cameras up there. We have cameras back here. We have cameras all through our building and they're not decoration. They are functional because we don't want to invade on anyone's privacy. But we do want to make sure that if someone did come in here with sinister motives and they wanted to do something untoward to a vulnerable person, we'd know about it. And we, we could then do all we, within our power to prevent that from happening. And these, this is a deterrent. We did have someone come into our car park probably a year or so ago and decided it would be a great place to do donuts in our car park, ripped up our car park, and we just went to our security camera, got their number plate, contacted the police. The police went around. The dad was home, and he was shown the video of his son ripping up our car park and the dad good on dad he said leave it with me i'll deal with it that son has never been seen again (laughs) now i mean not in our car park (laughs) the dad actually said you do that again i'm going to take you to that church on a sunday We have windows here and although we, we kind of have the, the blinds down just on the Sunday partly because it just messes up with our cameras and things like that and we want the best live stream experience we can give and that's the other thing we do. 
nothing we do here on a Sunday is a secret. It's, it's for the world to see. So whatever we say is on the public record. So all of these things are our attempt, apart from what we do with everyone who is a department leader, a team leader, or serves on our rosters, we require them to do a working with vulnerable people check and present the evidence of that so that if there was anything in their past, it would prevent them from receiving that check. And we also require our, our leaders, department leaders and so on, to do what's called child safe training, which is how we, sh we can best look after the vulnerable in our church. So with that in mind, I want to pray. I want to introduce a topic today that I've never dealt with and I need God's help. So would you join me? Father, help me now to deliver your word. And as I do, I pray, Lord, that people would help in prayer and that, Lord, beyond this point, beyond this moment together as we gather in the lounge room as a church family, that, Father, you would put on our hearts our role, how we contribute to this family. And that, Father, you would, as people step up to pray for our church, which we just so desperately need, as people step forward to say, I'll help. That, Lord, as we do that and chip in to get the meal ready for the family, the family dinner on Sunday, that, Lord, you would bless each person. Speak now, I pray, by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing to look through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians. This is an exposition. It means we're actually taking our time to look through each of the issues that Paul is addressing. And today we're going to deal with an issue, as I just mentioned, I don't think I've ever spoken about this. In fact, if you've been here any time, you'll know that in the 27 years that I've been pastoring here, I've never preached the same message twice. Now, that's not a brag. That's just to say, as we embark on what we're about to look at, that this is territory that I probably should have dealt with years ago, and here we are today. And I think it's really important that we understand what Paul has to say about this issue of being single. And sometimes when the church, and, and probably us as well, and I'm probably just as guilty of it, when we talk about being single, we're talking about it as if it's a temporary phase in life. And it can be, and for, for many it will be. But for some people it won't be temporary. And as one single said to me some time ago, we, we singles live in a couple's world. And it's very awkward being single in a couple's world, especially for those who, who feel that God wants them to serve him as a single rather than as a, a couple. I'm going to show you, if you love graphs and numbers and stats, you are going to love this morning. But for the rest of us, I'll try and be quick as I show you the graphs. Because to do this, all good preachers will establish the why behind the what. The what is what I'm going to say. The why is why I'm saying it. And there is a, a really big why happening right now in Australia. And maybe this is why I haven't dealt with this before, but now we have to deal with it. We have, I don't know, a third of our seats empty. We've had the kids go out. That, that's wonderful. We are a church that is very, very blessed. Blessed in so many ways. 
We are blessed that we have a lot of children in our church. We are blessed that we have a vibrant youth group that meets every Friday night. Alex, who I was going to um, point out this morning, our, our senior youth leader, is not here because she's running a stupid 5K women's race this morning. Anyway, for Jesus, I guess. But Alex does a great job with the youth and we have a, a team of uh, youth leaders including Josiah where are you Josiah there you are Josiah and uh, Josiah is actually under uh, undertaking is it a certificate in youth ministry oh pardon me diploma in youth ministry as well and and I reckon that's great and so we have we have a, a team of youth leaders who really want to see the youth of our valley come to know Christ and I think this is great we have a number of things that happen through the week for older ones as well. Uh, we have a Scrabble club that meets here every Wednesday. I don't know if anyone likes to play Scrabble, but apparently there's a whole bunch of people that like to play Scrabble and they come here every Wednesday and some from our church join them as well. And uh, I think this is a great interaction with the community. In fact, that's what we need to be doing more and more of, interacting with the community. We have a craft group that meets here. We, you will be aware, you would have seen it in the news, we have a young mums group that meets here every fortnight, uh, led by Noisy Elizabeth. We have a number of things for different age groups in our church. This is the point I want to I point out. Now here, according to recent research, a recent report actually, there are two trends that are now happening in Australia. The first trend, and I'll show you again, if you love graphs, you are going to absolutely love this morning. Less people are marrying now than at any other point in Australia's history, which is amazing because we've got the highest population in Australia's history, yet the numbers of people, not just the percentages, the numbers of people has never been lower who are getting married. Now, you might think, well, that's because they're living together and not getting married. No, not so. In fact, there are less people cohabiting now as well. So what does that tell us? And here's the graph for those who are interested. This is marrying and cohabiting. And you'll see, starting from 1970, this is per thousand. So back in 1970, it was about nine point something uh, just over nine, nine people per thousand were in a couple relationship of some kind. And now here we are at 2018, so just before the pandemic, and it's down to four point something, four people now. And as the report actually said, through COVID, that number's gone down even lower. So that means not only are people not marrying, they're not forming relationships either. Hmm, interesting. What about this one? This is, this is a graph... That was done that, uh, up to 2019, or uh, actually 2016. This shows the number of people in the three years of 1986, 2001 and 2016 who were in a, a cohabiting relationship. So that could be marriage or it could be living with a, a partner. So you'll see a, a back in uh, the orange one, 1986, those numbers and now... Uh, the latest one, 2016, it's, it's going down. And so this one, the age when people are getting married has gone up on average by 10 to 12 years. So it used to be quite common, 
that people would marry in their early 20s. Did anyone get married in their early 20s? Does anyone want to get married in their... Anyway. Um, and now it's, it's gone up, up near 30. Um, so th this is a trend that's happening in Australia as well. So, so that one. Here's the second trend. And this, this probably won't be a surprise to you. The second trend that's happening is that loneliness is now being described as an epidemic in Australia. Here's some of the stats in the report, which was done by Professor Patrick Parkinson, the Professor of Law at University of Queensland, and Dr David Jensen. They, they put this report together. This is the number of people living alone. In age 15 to 24, that wouldn't surprise you, it's the lowest... The word demographic has already been used this morning. Uh, and by the way, demo is the Greek word for people and graph means study. Anyway, um, so then, so that, that's not surprising because you, you'd expect 15 to 24 year olds would still be living at home. In fact, they could be 34 as the graph indicates as well. And then you, you go up, the, the further you go up, the, the more you realise things are changing. The divorce rate the divorce rate's actually been going down in Australia, which is interesting. And partly because less people are getting married. But family cohabiting breakups, the data shows that if children are conceived in a cohabiting, non-married household, that relationship is seven times more likely to break up than a marriage. And so when you look at this, this is the rate of people in these demographic categories and probably 85 and up you would exp you know there would be reasons why you know widowhood and so on that that might be the case but it is still pretty high the fact that they're living alone without any family there's there's this one which is the proportion of Australians experiencing what what the researchers were asking were characteristics of loneliness and essentially what this says is at best at best, 24.9% of Australians feel that there is someone that they could talk to quite openly about what they're going through. Do, do you get that? That's, that's one in four people think there's someone they could actually talk to. Family or friend or colleague or anything like that. And then that goes down to the, the I guess, the, the purple or maroon number, uh, numbers are more concerning because... You're a part of a friends group. Nearly 6% of people say, I have no friends in Australia. And then it goes down. 22.8%, so nearly again quarter of Australians say, actually, I have no friends either. So this is, the, these numbers are re revealing a picture. This one is emotional loneliness based on 2016, broken up into different um, age uh, and marital status cohorts. And what this says is you can be married and still lonely. So what we have are marriages that are very, very fragile. We have less of them, and the ones that we have, the data says, are fragile. The group in this category that is most vulnerable to loneliness right now in Australia and the research data over the last three years shows this group of people that I'm about to refer to 
are increasingly prone to social anxiety. That means not only are they lonely, they actually do not want to take the steps to solve their loneliness because they have social anxiety. In other words, they are fearful being around people. This group are the 18 to 24-year-olds. When it comes to suicidation, this is the second most common suicidation demographic. The other demographic are men between the ages of 45 and 65. More lonely, more emotionally lonely, and more prone to suicidation, that is thoughts of suicide. So the researchers say this, surprisingly, the age group that seems to be most vulnerable to loneliness are the 18 to 24 year olds. In the 2001 report, 54% of Gen Z Australians, I think that means they're in that age group, those under 24 at the date of the survey, reported that they felt lonely either often or always, or some of the time. In a study in Victoria, nearly 1,500 adolescents and young adults uh, reported that 16% of 12 to 17-year-olds, more than one in three, that's 37% of young adults aged between 18 to 25, indicated a problematic level of loneliness on a standardised measure. Nearly two-thirds of young adults reported that they felt alone either sometimes or often. Young adult women, on average, had higher rates of loneliness than young adult men. The highest level of social anxiety was in the 18 to 24 age bracket. And there is a cause, and you may not like this cause if you are in that age group, but researchers have noted this. Loneliness, paradoxically, is associated with digital connectedness. An American study of 10th graders between 2006 and 2017 found that as internet and social media usage increased year by year, so there was a corresponding fall in social interactions with real people that occurred in person in this age group. Loneliness increased to the extent that in-person connectedness decreased. There is clear evidence of an increase in loneliness at school amongst Australian teenagers as well, with the increase being particularly sharp from 2012 onwards. Now, parents, you know how hard it is if you have teenage children to get them off their phones. But please do. Please regulate it. Because the data is really clear that the more time they spend, particularly on social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever, the more likely they are to suffer from social anxiety. So you see the problem? See the problem we've got? We, we want to reach people. We want to reach people for Christ. We want to bring them into a church with all of you strange people. And they've already got social anxiety. And look at you. <laughs> and the problem with what I've just said is there's nothing wrong with you. There's no reason for people to be fearful. But the social anxiety that's a part of what's happening in culture now has caused them to be like that. So how do we deal with this? Here's my question that I've put here, which is, I've raised the topic that how to be content and happy, though single, and now looking at all the data of what's happening in Australia with singles, is it actually possible to be single, happy and contented? 
We need to know what God's word says about this because in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, When there was just Adam, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And there's a lot I could say about the equality of men and women, which is what that fit for him means. Not inferior, equal. But here God says, I haven't created you to be alone. You are created to be in community of some sort. So here's the thing. When we say single, I don't want us to think that I mean isolated. Because you can isolate yourself and I pretty much for sure you're going to get social anxiety if that's your default position. Sometimes if you are beginning to feel that creep into your thinking, you need to tell your thinking how it's got to change. And you've got to take steps that may be uncomfortable. There was a time when doing things that you didn't necessarily want to do because they were uncomfortable was just a part of everyday life. But I think for many young people, if it doesn't feel good, they don't want to do it. And that's a problem. It's a problem that leads to the numbers that we've just seen in these graphs. Here's the other thing that we want to be very, very clear about. Alone doesn't have to mean lonely. Aloneness is actually good for your soul. It's actually really good for your soul. And it doesn't mean you're lonely. And as we ponder, here we are talking about a theology of singleness. When I've talked a lot about marriage, I've taught a lot about parenting, but singleness? And yet, we worship a God who came to this earth and spent his time on earth as a single. And he was the most fulfilled man, the most satisfied man, the most complete man that ever walked this planet. Hmm. So that tells me the answer to my question. Is it possible to be content and happy and single? The answer is absolutely. I was going to say someone's done it, but it's not just someone. Others who have followed his principles, have followed in obedience to him, have served throughout their days as a single and they've found contentment and happiness, fulfillment and satisfaction as well. So we read scriptures like this through the Gospels. It's hard to miss them, actually. And he, but he, Jesus this is, would withdraw. In other words, as was his habit, to desolate places and pray. There's the disciples camping there. And he would say, all right, you guys are right. I'm just going off here to be alone. If Jesus needed alone time to recharge his soul, Gordon, so do you. You need a time just to recharge, even if you're married. Even if you've, in fact, John Wesley's mother had 17 children. Right? There's a challenge. <laughs> Susanna Wesley wins. <laughs> and she lived in this really small house. It had, I think, two bedrooms. And when she wanted alone time, she would put a blanket, so sit in a chair put a blanket over her head and every, every one of her 17 children knew, don't you come near me. <laughs> she wanted alone time. And we all need alone time. If Jesus needed alone time, 
We need alone time. We do. We need time alone. The world says that a loving relationship can only be truly loving if it's sexualized. So here's the question that sometimes is raised toward us as Christians. Are we against same-sex relationships? No, I've got a brother. I have a relationship with him. But it doesn't have to be sexualized. I've got mates who I have a really good relationship with. I've had my probably my best friend. We've been friends for 35 years or so. They don't, these relationships don't have to be sexualized. But there's a little, what do we call it? A, a, a sort of a, a, a sleight of hand. There's a little shifting of the, of the definitions here about what the word love means relationships to be good and wholesome and healthy and good for your soul do not have to be sexualized there are times when and we this is my introduction to first corinthians 7 by the way there are there are parts in first corinthians 7 where paul the apostle says it's even good for a husband and wife to have a sexual fast from each other so that they can just be alone and pray is what he says but he says, don't, don't do, do that too long. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you to do something wrong. So we've got this concept of relationships don't, to be meaningful, don't have to be sexualized. Now, you know, I've been, I think, pretty clear in talking about why marriage should be sexualized in the sense that it's, it's such an important part of marriage. It's an incredibly important part of marriage. But we need to understand this. For a relationship to be meaningful and deep, for you as a human person to be fully human, you don't have to be sexually active. Jesus was the most fulfilled person and he wasn't. And there have been some fools who have suggested that he was because they can't get it into their head that you could be possibly fulfilled and satisfied as a human being and not be sexual fools God's word the world says that but God's word says this that a loving relationship is a sacrificial relationship we've heard it this morning Tommy over communion mentioned that Queen Elizabeth mentioned about Christ the servant of all the one who came to serve not to be served and that's the essence of a loving relationship husbands you know it when your wife is calling upon you to get up off the couch during the one point difference in the grand final and she's and there's two there's like two minutes to go and she says could you go and grab me a cup of tea you've got a choice right there marriage football marriage football. so love is a real genuine love is, is a sacrificial relationship where you're serving the other a friend a spouse a family member a brother or sister a mother a father a son or daughter the Bible says this in Proverbs 17, verse 17. That's an easy proverb to remember, isn't it? A friend loves at all times, but a brother and a brother is born for adversity. And that's how you can tell your real friends, because they'll be like a brother. When you're going through stuff, they'll be there for you. Singleness is actually often God's call on someone's life. Paul the Apostle says this in 1 Corinthians 7. It could be the call... On someone's life for a season if you're a, 
A pre-teen, it's definitely a season. You're, if you're a teen, it may well be a season. If you're in your early 20s, that could be the season as well. But for some, it could be a life call. And it might be really difficult in our highly sexualized culture to think, how could someone be single all their life and live a fulfilled, satisfying, happy life? Jesus did. It's possible. Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, I wish that all were as myself am. So Paul was single. He never married. But each... Oh, someone, I did read a commentator say that Paul did get married and it was the biggest regret of his life. And he actually refers to it in 2 Corinthians right near the end where he says, I, three times I prayed for God to take away this thorn in my flesh. <laughs> Oh, you laugh. There are some scholars that actually think that each one, but I, think, I, I don't think Paul ever married. But each has his own gift from God. So Paul's saying there, singleness can actually be a gift. And if it's a gift, it's a gift to be stewarded. It's a gift to be used. It's a gift that God has given you so that you can do something that maybe the rest of us can't do. And Paul will actually say this in a moment. I'll show you. Paul says... Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So some of us have the gift of marriage. I actually thought up until the age of 23 that I had the gift of singleness. And then I met Kim. And I realised I exchanged that gift now for the gift of Kim. And I thank God for that. The false teachers that were in the church at Corinth, Paul is countering their claim that marriage itself defiled someone. And it made them unholy. So Paul's actually, in 1 Corinthians 7, he's actually going to refer to marriage and family as holy. He actually says that. And he says that the children born in a a home where even one spouse is a follower of Christ are holy. There is something very holy about that. So we we read, Paul countering this, Paul says this in verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman, I suppose the closest we've got there is engaged. If a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. And you know what? Paul is being real. If you are married, you know that there'll be times that the sacrifice, that's how we've defined genuine love, will actually cost you something. Otherwise, it's not really a sacrifice. And it will take you away from what you want to do, like the last minute of the grand final when your team is one minute down. And may your team not be Geelong in that instance. Paul says, I want to free you from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And that's a part of the gift of singleness. Paul calls it undistracted or undivided attention in serving the Lord, as we'll see. And he says, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. And that's not worldly things in a negative sense. It's the day-to-day. You've got to earn a living. You've got to provide for your children, your wife. You've got to do things that men have to do in order to be what God has called men to be, a protector, a provider, and a pastor to his wife and children. And he's concerned about how to please his wife. And verse 34 And his interests, the married man, is divided. 
And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And worldly things in this instance is like perhaps if she's responsible for getting meals done and so on. And I'm not trying to be gender stereotyping, but these are the things that I think Paul had in mind when he was talking about this. Verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And that is the point of whether you're married or single, to be fully devoted to the Lord. And Paul is saying here, if you're married, your full devotion to the Lord will mean you take care of your wife, you take care of your children, you take care of your family. If you've got your parents living with you, you take care of them. And you are doing that because you have an obligation and a responsibility to do that. And while you're doing that, your heart cries, God, have your way in me. I want to serve you with all my heart. And God knows how much of your heart you can give him in that instance when you've got those responsibilities. And those responsibilities are God-honoring. Whether you are single or married, therefore, your goal is to glorify God by your devotion to him. Paul will go on in chapter 10 and verse 31 and he'll say this. So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything you do is to the glory of God. So let me come back to where we started. We want to be a church, a church family, comprised of singles, marrieds, single parents, divorced, I didn't put in there remarried, I could have, should have, and widowed. Can you see, we, if we want to reach our culture, if we want to reach people for Christ, and we do, don't we? We want to see people come in here who, in our world view, we would say, you're hurting, you're broken, you need Christ in your life. You've tried everything and nothing's worked. You need to turn to Jesus and come to him. You're not a million miles away. You might feel it, but you're not. You're just one prayer away. And as they come in and they don't know much about anything, we want to help them to know Christ and come to know Christ. And because this is the composition that we have to expect, that not everyone's going to be neat and tidy. And I've heard people say they've come in here and they've, they've said, all you families, you're all perfect families. All the mothers are perfect mothers. All the fathers are perfect fathers. And you're all so neat and tidy. And can I tell you, it might look that way, but we're all a mess. And we're trying to figure it out. And we're trying the best we can. Why don't you come on the journey with us? We'll help you with your mess. You help us with ours. Let's see if we can do this. Be the kind of church someone described. We could end up becoming a messy church. <gasps> We want to be a church that promotes happiness and contentment despite your circumstances. So listen to these three verses that the Apostle Paul told other churches. In fact, he told the Corinthians this about how to find contentment. Listen to this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities can you see how the bible says your contentment is not dependent on your circumstances or do you want me to run through that list again 
We, we see in Philippians 4.11, he told the Philippians, one of his last epistles, he said this, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Wow. Can, can, I can't say that to my shame. But he could. Notice that he learned how to be content. You know how you learn anything? Practice. So from here today, when we close the church service, start practicing contentment. When really annoying things happen, you don't have to necessarily drop to your knees, but in your soul maybe drop to your knees and lift your hands in the air and say, God, I thank you for the people in my life that are so annoying. I am content. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And then the writer to the Hebrews, who was possibly Barnabas, said this, Keep, keep your life free from the love of money. And here's a command now. It's called an imperative. Be content with what you have and he has said for he has said i will never leave you or forsake you would you please stand is it possible to be happy content and single yeah it is follow christ accept the call on your life and even if you don't know if that call is a temporary thing or not be content worship god and if he opens up to you another gift the gift of marriage Embrace that one as well, if God wills. I'll be back in a moment to close in prayer. Seemed there was a moment. There was a moment when the lights went out. Death acclaimed its victory The King of Love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on the cross they made for sinners For every curse his blood atoned
Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to be a church family, but a church family that's always, always, always inviting people to dinner, always inviting people to come over for a meal, always to come and taste and see that you are good, oh God. And I pray, Father, that you would help us as a church to welcome in those that feel like the world has rejected them, perhaps the world has not satisfied them, the world has lied to them, and that, Lord, they might find a place at the table here, that the whosoever would come. And perhaps that, that's you, perhaps you're watching right now, perhaps you feel like your life has no point, no purpose, no value to anyone. I've got to tell you, it has it has value to the creator, the God of this universe. You are so precious. He sent his son to die in your place that you might live for eternity, starting now and going beyond the grave. You are just one prayer away, a prayer that says, God, please forgive me. Come into my life. Help me to live for you. Fill me with your spirit. Plant me in a church family and help me to become a son or daughter of you. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee you your life will be radically transformed bit by bit from this point on. And now, Lord, may we, your people, your family, know the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Corinthians Part 9 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, single can be God's call on someone's life, even if it's just for a season. Whether single or married, our goal is to glorify God by our devotion to Him. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lingana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.